So good morning, how's everybody? Good morning. Good morning. So I started my day this morning at like four. So I'm about halfway through my day. <laughs> I still got to drive to Chicago this afternoon, so we'll see how it goes. Um, this is my one, two, three, four, fifth event this week. So I'm kind of revved up and ready to go. Uh, just so you know, I'm a little bit of a contrarian, which Ebony will testify to. I'm a bit of a contrarian, so I'm going to challenge everybody. So y'all ready to fight? <laughs> okay. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm going to introduce, well, no, I'm not going to introduce. I'm going to let them introduce. Um, from my far left, we will start with Kwabena uh, Antoine Nixon, which I really didn't know his middle name, so you got <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys doing? How are you doing this morning? Good. Uh, we drove in the snow. Well, you did too, so I guess that's all right. <laughs> all right. So that was just the opening speech. I'm Kwabena Antoine Nixon. I'm a poet, writer. Um, uh, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. I don't use that term. I throw it around. Uh, I wrote two books. I'm working on my third one. Born and raised in the city of Chicago, and my company's called Be Inspired Works. He's from Chicago. My man. Um, uh, my company's called Be Inspired Works, and one of the main things we do is we help young men of color tell their stories, to change their narrative, and we use spoken word. And um, also, I do, I, as I was saying to a good friend, we were talking, I guess I became a marketer, or as they say, a person who does marketing based on the need. We were doing events, and we were uh, using spoken word to do it, and we didn't think the people who were marketing our events were doing us injustice. So we took it in our hands, and from there, uh, we did spoken word. I threw, all white affair, a black affair, and just trying to raise the culture on the north side of Milwaukee to prove to people that uh, it's possible. It doesn't matter where you're from, it's where you're trying to go. All right, and we're going to skip down here. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Lavelle Young. Uh, I am a real estate developer, uh, but more so I consider myself a social entrepreneur uh, because I use uh, real estate uh, for many different opportunities uh, to really create uh, equitable uh, economic development in some neighborhoods that are kind of disinvested, um, creating wealth opportunities because I really believe real estate is sort of this foundation of a lot of wealth in our country. Um, so how do we use it as a tool to create wealth uh, for others who've been excluded from it? Um, and really just a guy who's just passionate about uh, uh, figuring out solutions that, that others aren't kind of working on. Um, so my company is called Young Development Group and we're focused on more so community development, figuring out models that are, are, are for neighborhoods that, like I said, are disinvested, don't, don't see the development that we see downtown. Um, um, there's always a way to make it happen, make it work, and so I'm the guy who's always trying to say, you know, what is the creative model to go invest in these neighborhoods? Good morning, everyone. My name is attorney Derek Hawkins. Whenever you create a business, you end up creating a brand. But one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs forget to do is figure out ways to own their brand and protect it. And so what I do in my law firm, Hawkins IP, is I help leverage trademark law to help people protect their brands and own them. Uh, hello, everybody. Thank you for coming. Trekking through the snow. Uh, my name is Drew Lettner, and I'm the co-founder of Deaf Perception. Uh, we're a small brand and design firm that focus on uh, conscious brands and social entrepreneurs uh, and, and content creators. Uh, I'm also president of AIGA Wisconsin. We're, uh, AIGA is the largest national design association uh, in the world. Um, 
So I'm the president of the Wisconsin chapter. And uh, I also have a regular gig at Direct Supply. I'm a, a web designer there. So I feel like I need to quit some of these jobs. <laughs> Revenue stream. That's right. Revenue stream. Is like this guy. I'm going to hire you. Um, I'm Colin Murdy, uh, the founder of the Murdy Creative Company. And uh, we, just in short, we make uh, leather goods. Uh, I started with my Murdy number one. That's our leather three-ring binder that I have actually right in front of me here. Uh, and we work on developing new types of designs and new brands that always focus on longevity, quality, and really the best that we can provide in personalization options to help people, you know, have something that they buy once and then they take care of for the rest of their lives rather than needing to buy over and over and over again. Um, so that's really, that's part of the core of our business. And then another thing that we help is we help companies, law firms, IP, work on developing um, kind of the best, best ways to represent themselves in front of their clients so we can help provide them with the personalization for their own kind of uh, their own kind of development, and that's been really helpful for some of our larger clients to to showcase the value of their writing in something that helps uh, help people when they judge their book by their cover that you know it really represents the best for them. So essentially, you make the book. Yeah. And the cover. Yeah. <laughs> and so last but not least, so this is a guy. First of all, he's a Harris. So that's a great result. <laughs> you don't have to applaud. We will. <laughs> Uh, second, when I when I came to Milwaukee, I came to Milwaukee in April of '93. By October, I was eating I was eating lunch with a friend of mine, and he asked me, "Well, do you know Curtis Harris? Are you related to him?" Well, I don't know who who's Curtis Harris. <laughs> the problem was everywhere I went, somebody asked me, "Hey, do you know Curtis Harris?" I came to find that he's one of the what we like to call our resident elders in business. So that if there's any any uh, any growth, if there's any business, is there any sector that you need information about when you need an advisor, politically, economically, intellectually, you have to find Curtis Harris. Well, let him introduce himself. Wow, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> Good morning. As obviated by what you can see, I'm the oldest in the room, but I've been through a lot of activities that relate to what you are trying to do. I go back to having worked for the private sector and the public sector, but I've taken on a role of a lifetime of being an activist and, a, and a, a challenger to the ability to grow economic development, particularly as it relates to the black community. I go back to having worked for the private sector, Boston Store, We Energies, public sector, the city government, a number of times, including the first job out of high school, was as a library aide at City Hall in what is now the Municipal Reference Library. Over the years, I've helped develop some of the programs you will end up using. I literally challenged WIBIC to its existence back in the early 90s because of some factors that may come out later if you want to hear them. I created an entity along with two other people called Milwaukee Economic Development Corporation which you may be aware of, has been spun off by the city and kind of drifted to the private sector. I've been a creator of a number of other entities that I suspect that you're aware of. I've been board chairman of a couple of them. I was a coordinator for minority and disadvantaged business for the convention center when it expanded in the 90s, for the coal center when it was built in Madison in starting in 96, for Miller Park from 96 to 2001, we're 875 East Wisconsin Avenue, the parking deck on Jefferson, 788 North Jefferson, 
I've worked and been involved in those activities as a person or company that would make sure that disadvantaged businesses had an opportunity to get a piece of the action. So as we sit here and discuss this morning, I want to say I appreciate being allowed to come to this particular kind of meeting, and I will try to be helpful as much as I can, so please put up with the possibility I may suggest an avenue for you to take to do what you're trying to do, because I know how that path was created, I know who's in the middle of that path or who's sitting on the side of it, and I know what the end of the path ought to look like. Thank you. Okay, thank you much. I want to clap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what we'll do is take about a half hour. We're going to let them talk. We're going to ask questions. Then we want to kind of open it up to see uh, whether or not you need any like, real direction and where you're going and what you're trying to do. Uh, I think coming together has to be a time where you leave with at least one or two kernels that can make you take one step further to your goal. So with that, my first question. I only I only have a few questions. You know, I, I always started with like two, and then it kind of morphed into. So, so really, it's kind of for everybody. So it'll be kind of a free for all. So jump in where you where you fit in. But what's the most pressing challenge? Anybody here running a startup? Anybody here trying to start a business, running a business? What's the most pressing issue for for a startup today? Getting clients. I'd imagine. So you can actually make money okay. <laughs> as a business. Okay. So you can actually make money. That's the big one. Yeah. Um, ah. To execute whatever that passion was underlying your your decision to make the business in the first place, right? Um, so how'd you overcome that? For me, it was clarifying my message. Um, and honestly, that didn't come about until I had my practice open for about three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So when I first opened my practice, I was more of a generalist. I pretty much did everything from criminal defense work, family law work business law, um, and I noticed that it was very hard for people to identify what the hell it was <laughs> that I did, right? right? Derek's an attorney, but he might be able to help you, but we're not sure. Um, but it wasn't until I was able to really hone in on, okay, my background is intellectual property, I'm great at trademark law, that's what I understand. I noticed that I have the best conversations with my clients and I'm able to help them the most in that area. Maybe I should just do this exclus exclusively, right? Um, but with that comes the fear of, well, I'm leaving money on the table, by not servicing these other people who come and say, oh, well, can you do this contract for me? Can you do this copyright issue? Can you do right. this family law case? I can, but the amount of time it would take me to do that work versus honing in and just doing what I'm good at would help me, would suffer in terms of my business and brand. So when I was able to actually figure that out, clarify my message, and convey that to my core customer in a way they understood, that's when things took off for me, and it was a lot easier for me to scale. Okay. Anybody else? Pressing challenges for startups. I, I mean, I think what kind of Rolling off that, it, it's difficult in some ways when, you know, you've got an idea or you're the person who's, who's developing new products to, right. to try to stay focused on the good things that are working and to not kind of go down the next path, the next path. And there's there's always a, a million different things you can do. And when you start something new, it's exciting. It's all, it's all the, everything on the table is there for you to try. Right. And I think it can be difficult at times to, to say, okay, I gotta, I gotta hone my energy on, on a specific direction for a little while, not forever, but for a little while to, to cultivate something and to grow it rather than try to spread yourself too thin, doing everything all the time. And I think it leads to you feeling overwhelmed and confused and sometimes you feel like you're the only one fighting the battle and I think that can be really hard on people in the long run when they're trying to, to solve the crisis of why am I so stressed and nothing's happening. Okay, and so we got the what. 
but then how? How do you do that? Like, how did you make a decision to not to not be everything to everybody? I would say um, just to just to kind of piggyback of what you're saying. I think niching down is, is incredibly important mm -hmm. because it allows you to focus. Uh, it allows you to become a specialist at a certain thing instead of spending time doing all these different things. Um, that makes you kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but niching down also relates a lot to whatever your competitive advantage is. And that has a lot to do with your personality and um, what, what you're niching down on. Um, for for me, it took me like several years to realize that um, you, you guys probably know this already, but I'm hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, now you do, sir. <laughs> so uh, that's that's literally a competitive advantage that we use for um, content creators and uh, social media drive engagement uh, stuff like that. It took us a long time to learn how to do that. Okay. Anybody else? I'll say uh, <clears throat> for me, uh, why I chose to focus. Um, on community development necessarily um, because there's so much more opportunity outside of the places where it's harder to build buildings or develop it. Um, I was just say why, with the title of the, the, the thing is like mm -hmm. you go back to your mission like, so what's, what's your passion like what are you really passionate about don't jump into everything because you opportunistic or you see the many opportunities I think really it was constantly mm -hmm. saying okay, why am I doing this? Oh, if it doesn't align with really my mission for my businesses, then it's not really, you're, you're gonna end up being a jack of all trades, trying to do everything, trying to make a buck where it's not really aligned at. Um, and so I, I think I will always draw myself, and it's very hard because you see others winning more quickly in opportunities or other places that you think you wanna hop into as well. Uh, but you have to really say why you got into this business, why you started it. I think I'm led more through, through my entrepreneurship journey on my why and my mission more than that profit. Uh, but then the profit does come um, later on when you stick to that why and focus on that why. Um, if I can. Absolutely. I think, because he, he took it where exactly where I want to go. I think you'll focus on your why. Mm -hmm. I never paid attention to how I was going to get it done. I knew why I needed to get it done and why I wanted to do what I was doing. My why has always been stronger than my how. How is so discouraging, like, well, how am I gonna get this done? How are we gonna be competitive? I, don't, I never paid attention, I just, and I'm not saying that I was so conscious about it, but I just knew why I wanted to do it. So when it came to something competitive, I would always go, well, they know how to do it, but I know why I'm doing it. And my why will outlast their how, because when you go about how you're doing it and the competition, things can go wrong, you know, uh, uh, a certain client can leave, you know, uh, uh, the, the terrain in the neighborhood, the terrain gets bad. So all those factors play in, but when you have your why, you go, I expected that to come. Mm -hmm. So we gotta mm -hmm. go, go do this. And okay, so now we gotta do this. So when you have your why, it takes you from the jack of all trades. You say, you know what, this is the most important thing we need to do today, mm -hmm. right now. And if we do this, we'll get our result. And last but not least, I think, uh, I don't call it challenge because it has to be a challenge in what we're doing. If you're going to say you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're saying you're being an entrepreneur, that means you're going to kill your food every day. It's simple as that. There's no first and 15th. So that, there's going, it's supposed to be a challenge. If it's easy, everybody would do it. Everybody in this room here today is trying to be something and that everybody didn't make it today because somebody said, nope, I got to go here because this is where I'm going to find. So I would say 
the challenge you should take anyway. Um, I don't think I have a challenge. I just, uh, Bernie Mac said it best, may he rest in peace. He said, my competition is myself. Mm -hmm. I'm the only person I'm fighting. I'll look over and see what so-and-so is doing, but right. I know what I need to do, mm -hmm. and that's going to drive me. Okay. Any, any advice, Curtis? <coughs> well, as I described in, a, in the opening, I've been all over the map. Before I got involved in the projects that I named, and I was involved at the highest levels, including helping Spencer Coggs when he was a state senator to negotiate the disadvantaged business requirement for Miller Park. Mm -hmm. And we, we did that up in the Capitol in Madison. But I go back to my history of after I left the Boston store, working for the Department of City Development, setting up the Model Cities Economic Development Program for which, out of which Milwaukee Economic Development Corporation was born and it still exists. I went to work for a doctor's group that want to become a group medical practice of individual doctors. And combining, you're talking about herding cats, I guess is the expression. <laughs> you can't herd anything worse than, worse than doctors. <laughs> In the course of that, I learned how to first respect doctors, but also how to talk back. And you may have to do that with clients of yours. Mm -hmm. So you have to develop that rapport that allows you to have the commonality with whoever your clients are, but also to indicate you have the expertise mm. to help your client do a better job of what they do. Now what happened in the doctor's group, we had 10 physicians that I was nurturing. I hired four of the 10 out of straight out of medical school. I'll say this proudly. One of the four that I hired out of medical school introduced me to my cardiologist at a later point in my life, who is now my current primary doctor and cardiologist. So we're good friends. That's what happens over the years. That's the other thing. Don't hesitate to remember the names of people you worked for in the past because you never know when you're going to run into them again in either the same situation or a different situation where both of you can get benefit from it. I worked in a recycling plant at one point and never thinking that when you go to work for a recycling operation in January, that they work in an unheated environment. I was used to working in an office. <laughs> I worked in a shop in 15 degree weather, doing paperwork. But the point being is that accumulate your thinking to the point where you use it to narrow down and or focus on what's really producing for you. And I know that's tough when you're starting off the day I graduated from UWM, School of Business, I made a commitment to my mother, who at that time was making lampshades at a factory on Broadway and Detroit. And I made a commitment to her to get her out of there into her own business. I lived with her at the time. That was one of the reasons I made the commitment. I got tired of waking up the lampshades every morning on the dining room table, <laughs> the kitchen table, and on the living room couch because she had worked overnight making lampshades for other people. So I collectively pulled together the family. We put the investment into my mother. She went into a shop making lampshades and she did that for the rest of her life, doing something she loved to do, sewing, 
But she also added, you young ladies today don't know much about hats. But at one point, women wore big hats. Classy, ostentious hats. And my mother could make those very well. She started making them because she had a large head size and she could not buy a hat in a retail establishment. <laughs> so she went into that, that business. She ultimately essentially retired out of business. The point being, keep your minds really open to what connects to your business, how to enhance what you're already doing. But we be aware of trends in your industry that may, in effect, affect your business, including the technology we now have. Okay. So then, Mr. Hawkins. Oh, I'm sorry. You want to answer? Something? I was just going to say. Uh, I think I have a question. For and what what you what you uh, are good at might not be something that you enjoy doing. I just want to add that in there. Okay. So then, wait. So now I got to skip my next question and go back to something else. Then. <laughs> so then, does Y equal passion, and is passion enough? I don't think so. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> I was I was kind of going to come back to this, but. Um, why is important, but I, I'm a big proponent of you know not having a plan is a plan to fail, right? So you can have all the passion in the world, but if you can't execute, yeah. it's not going to matter, okay. right? And so for me, I think being able to hone in, the way that you can hone in on your niche and the way that you can actually execute on making it work for you is kind of threefold. One, it involves kind of getting out of your comfort zone of professionals, right? So for me... As attorneys, we love rubbing elbows with each other. We go to our CLEs, we go to our conferences, we're always in each other's law journals, all that stuff. We don't, we're, not, we're, we're not each other's clients, though, generally, right? And so one thing that I noticed was I'm spending all, these, all this time with attorneys, not enough with my actual type of clients. And so for me, what I did was I was like, okay, well, the majority of the people I interface with are involved with branding, right? So I generally deal with the CEO or the owner, and I work hand-in-hand -hand with the marketing department. Maybe I should go to marketing conferences. Instead, right? Because these are the people who are going to be actually hiring me at the end of the day. Okay. And so I put myself there, outside of my comfort zone, right? And then so apart from that, mining your, mining your, mining your community, mining your network, and mining your um, clients that you already have. We More plan an event together. IP attorneys meets designers. I wouldn't matter. Right, let's let's do it. Do it. Um, network. That's right. Your clients are generally, at least for me, a lot of my businesses repeat business. Right, you do a good job one time, they come back to you, they refer their friends and everything like that. So I think a lot of times what ends up happening as a business owner is you're so concerned about bringing new revenue in that you forget about the revenue that's already there, right? And so I think focusing your energies on, okay, how can I make sure that my clients have an amazing experience so that they become my biggest ambassadors and bring me business on their own? So I don't have to invest as much in marketing. I invest on building relationships with my clients, I invest in doing good work so that once the job is done, these people are going to go out and say, you know what, Dirk did an amazing job. Hey, you need a trademark? Call that guy. Hey, you need a trademark? Call that guy. That way you have ambassadors out there for you. Um, and then just building, building deep expertise and deep knowledge. The vast majority of things that I've learned as an attorney have nothing to do with law, to be honest. Um, and to be honest with you, law school itself teaches you more so how to think like a lawyer and less how to be like one. And so for me, the vast majority of my knowledge, expertise has come from just reading learning from others, and reading non-legal literature as well. Um, to the point, uh, to my original point when I was talking about kind of clarifying my message, I read this book called Building a Story Brand by Donald, Donald Miller that revolutionized the way that I build my website, I market to my clients and everything. It has nothing to do with law, right? right? So if anything, the, the three points are getting outside your comfort zone, 
and uh, at least networking with the people who are actually going to be buying your product or buying your service, not necessarily your own uh, competition, <laughs> more or less. Mining your clients and your network, um, and then just building deep expertise. Sounds like the passion comment is coming. And you said, <laughs> what, what did you say? I just want to clarify. So, does, does why equal passion, mm -hmm. and is passion enough? Why does equal passion, but passion isn't enough. We clearly know that, but I will say this. Your passion will lead you to learn is what my man learned. Meaning okay. that That's true. When, you, when you're excited about something, and I can use the example, as a man, when you're excited about a woman, you're going to find out everything you need to know. <laughs> Am I right? About this woman, who she hangs with, what she likes. You'll find out anything. If you play sports and you want to be, when they say he plays with so much passion, right? right. Uh, passion is a hot moment. It's like going to church if I can. It felt good. All ministers love. Right, now, that's for that moment. Now the consistency after that passion is what's going to take you far. Because we can all get passionate about it, but as he said, where's the profit from it? Or you know, because I'm funny with this term entrepreneur. Do you understand what I mean? Like sure. when a word becomes a word, it becomes a new word, the new buzzword. Right? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. What do you do? Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a broker. Oh yeah, I'm a. You right? And then you say, well, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. What do you do? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Well, how do you do it? I'm passionate. And you sitting there like. I didn't get nothing out of this, no problem, right? <laughs> right. right? It has to be something attached to what you do. You know, that's why I say, sure. I'll give you my why, no doubt. My why will get me going. My passion is the fire. But then as he said, what's the plan, right? It'll take you to places where you go, well, that didn't work. If you don't have passion, you'll go, I quit. But you got passion, you say, that wouldn't work. We'll go to this way, okay. right? Another thing I say, so you do need, you can't just have passion. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, you cannot have anything without some passion. Yeah. If you, when he said something, I said, I heard somebody said something about trends, right? I've always been scared of trends. Why do I be scared of trends? It's good to watch, okay? In the stock market or places in this. But if you're really good at what you do and you believe in your brand, you go, no, I'll set the trend. Mm -hmm. I've always been one that said, no, that's what they're doing, because I say, whoever does it first wins. So if I'm watching what they're doing, ah, nah, not so much. We're going to do this over here. Why? Because if it's a trend, when it's popping, everybody's on it. And when it's done, oh, we, not, we offer that, right? So I believe you've you got to have passion. Passion will make you stand out amongst the crowd. They will okay. say, he's, as he was saying, the it guy, right? Mm -hmm. You do have ambassadors, but I'm a firm believer in that term where I don't know the certain biblical quote, but it says a man's gifts will make way and put you in the room with kings. Yeah. If what's inside you, you already have. Right. Somebody in this room will walk out going, I think I'm gonna try it. And I would say, uh, take the risk. Yeah. When you ask what's the challenge, I think age and the risk factor plays. Well, if I leave this job, uh, damn, I may not have this money. The biggest threat, excuse me when I say this, I have to say this. <laughs> I was listening to Dr. Miles Monroe. If anybody gets a chance, Dr. Miles Monroe is probably one of the, may he rest in peace, one of the most influential, powerful speakers I ever heard. Dr. Miles Monroe said the enemy to passion is employment. <laughs> because when you, and I'm not knocking, because work ethics counts. I work, as he said, I'm a West Side boy from Chicago. My work ethic has got me where, but what I'm saying is, the, the employment piece. When you're a boy and a young man in school and you're saying... The comfort. Yeah. You, the, the first thing our elders said, you got to go get a job. I said, well, I want to be a writer. You know, my uncles were hardworking men. Writer, right? I want to write. I never knew a writer, right? I didn't know any. So what I'm saying is that I worked 
I taught, I was a good teacher, but the passion of the employment, like I woke up on my 30th birthday, I'm 49 years old, Lord willing I turned 50. I woke up on my 39th birthday, I'm 30th birthday, and I was like, Done. I can do better. Mm -hmm. They tried to throw this great party, they offered me a job, I did not go back to work that day, I resigned, I said, you know, I, I can't. Because I knew if I would've went back in the building, I would've never left. So employment is the biggest, and I'm not telling anybody to quit a job, but what I'm saying is, you, you gotta find it. If I'm working your dream, I'm not working my dream. So let's flip that around. Did you have a comment? Or? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, it, you're absolutely right that it's, it's, you have to be able to say, I'm gonna make that jump because it, you're never guaranteed anything in life. I mean, at some level, if you've been employed, that could end tomorrow for no reason that would be explained to you. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. So, you know, if you think that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not risking anything by not leaving my job, that's, that's not true. You're risking your future because there, there, is a, there is a time in life and there's things. And I think the biggest issue that a lot of people struggle with is the biggest challenge is execution. You can watch all the videos on YouTube of people doing push-up and, and lifting weights, but if you don't do any sit-ups, you're not gonna get any, you know, you're not getting anywhere. Execution is the only thing that really matters in the long run. Develop and deploy has gotta be the name of the game. You gotta develop the strategy and then you gotta execute. And you gotta just execute constantly. You just gotta constantly and consistently be working to the next thing. And the passion can fuel that, but if you're all here, I would imagine that you already have that passion, right? Nobody sits in a room and comes to a conference unless they're passionate, right? So you're here, you've got the passion, what's missing is the next step of deployment. And at some level, if you if you are working, right, you always want to say, okay, I want to start my side hustle and then I want that to take over and become my full-time job, right? That's the goal, right? That's what I did. And I'll say that how you do it is you start with something you can manage. And you start with something that is a product of some kind that you can actually sell in some way to someone, right? You execute with the, the most minimal viable product. This was easy to start. I knew I could start this. This is not where we're going to end. I've got a line of products that are gonna be coming out. There's so many things that I had. And when I started the company, I had that dream. I knew what the product lines were gonna be. I had you know, all of these things that I wanted to see happen, right? I have all of these ideas. I knew I needed to start with one because the cash flow mattered. Getting something in the door to start mattered. And then you build on it, and you build, and you build, and you build, and you keep working on something new, and you start to develop, and you build strategy, and you build brand, and you show people that, that it's not just about a good product, it's about a good brand, and a community, and developing that community around your brand, and then all of a sudden that execution begins to fuel other things, and it begins to all of a sudden lead to other expectations, and I think the thing that you have to be aware of as an entrepreneur and someone with passion is you have to ignore everyone else. Because everyone else will tell you, uh, I don't know if that'll work, right? Especially uh, if they have a good job. Exactly, exactly. I love, I love my parents desperately. I love my mother and father. They provided me with a great, great life growing up. Very few parents look at their children. Very few children, parents look at their children and go, yeah, you should quit your day job. That's, that, if you're waiting for that to happen, if you're waiting for someone else's permission, you're never going to get it. you got to go prove it. Okay, so then with that, what's the one misconception you took into your startup then, and then I'm. I thought that I was gonna be this massive big hit right away. I thought immediately, I, had the great, I got the greatest product, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be awesome, right? Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be able to retire. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, I'm gonna, I'm gonna retire in December, it's gonna be great, like, I mean, and that's where, you know, it's, it's, it's always slow. It's every day is an uphill battle. It's like walking up a mountain in the deep, thick fog. You have no idea how high you can go. You have no idea how far you've got left. You've got no idea what's coming up next. And there are some times when it flattens out a little bit and you can go really 
really fast and really far. And all of a sudden you're bringing in tons of money and it sounds like, you know, you're like, I did it. I'm great. Right. And then all of a sudden you hit a stop, you know, you're walking through all of a sudden you're back in the mud. Right. And you have no idea how far you've got left, right? So I thought it was going to just take off and I was going to be able to, you know, I was going to be able to fund this trip and build the business school and all those other things <laughs> I was going to, yeah. But in reality, it, it's never that simple. And, and the, the, the thing my brother told me when I was going to college and I didn't realize how valuable it'd be for the rest of my life is he's an aerospace engineer, right? And he goes, there's the universal law of pi, rule of pi. Mm. Everything takes 3.14 times longer than it should at 3.14 times the complexity and 3.14 times the expense. It's Ooh, always, it's yeah. always, and it, I, every time I think, you know what, it's not going to be that way. I've been wrong. So I'm starting to realize maybe I can't fight this and I have to plan some more margin in my life. Well, um, I'll say, you know, going back to the passion piece, <clears throat> the passion, like we all think agree on is the fuel to get you to the profit. I think, like you said, the execution is where it's gonna take every day, every day, to really get to the point where you're figuring out this passion is profitable, or this passion does have a business model. And the passion also is kind of like a shield in a way too, because like you said, your parents or so many other people are constantly trying to poke holes in your concepts, and that's great, you know? It, it, what they what they kind of mean harm or maybe just have discouragement for you is kind of actually good for you because mm -hmm. it's fueling your passion even more. It's really helping you go drive and to say, you know what, I'm going to find this model that works. I'm going to find those customers because they're out there. Uh, a little bit about my entrepreneurship journey, I started about two and a half years ago uh, where I identified uh, my first project as a developer uh, which was the Martin Luther King Jr. Library. Uh, they were going to put out a public uh, our, uh, uh, request for proposals, and, and it was public, so I'm like, why not pitch for it? I knew I was passionate about that neighborhood. I knew that I really uh, wanted to get into development, and it was like a barrier. The barrier to entry was I can create something, a proposal, and I can submit, and if it sticks, it sticks. If it don't, it don't. And, it, and I worked on that for about six, seven months, and so many people, and, and all the odds were against me to say, you know, well, one, I was 23 at the time, uh, had many other larger developers uh, who had years and decades of experience competing against. Um, you know, I don't look like the typical developer. It was so many different odds against me, but what I'll say is, one, that passion that I have for that neighborhood, that passion I have for that library that I grew up in, it really fueled to say, you know, I'm gonna surpass all those odds. I'm not even gonna let the odds scare me. I'm gonna really drive myself to compete for this. I'm not gonna let anybody or anything kind of deter me from this major opportunity that I wanna pursue. Um, and, and, I, and that's where the passion got me. On the flip side of it, the passion also helped me dive deeper and, 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 and find a model. And I really, I really keep using the word business model uh, because it's really, it's really where I feel like Every, every product or every idea has a model to it. And so for me, my passion drove me to keep digging and keep digging to one day find that golden model that I can present. And that's what I did. And, it, and, and what I presented to the library board was different from all my competitors. All the other competitors had a business model for this building that, that they all had similar and they were gonna use the same resources. Mine was the only one that stuck out, and that's why I was selected to redevelop the library. And so I would say that passion really was a shield mm -hmm. to block all the odds, all the naysayers, but it also was the driving force to say, I'm going to 
differentiate myself and I'm going to stick out um, being a little guy in the room, but the one with the, the different model. So I would say definitely let the passion drive you and don't let, don't, when you're passionate about something, don't think that it's not profitable. Don't think that it, it can't work out. You just have to find the model to make it work. Now, I'm going to sit down because it looks like I'm going to give Curtis about a minute. It sounds like there might be some... Uh, don't, give, don't give me a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> One of the things that people who work in the public sector particularly, and even in the private sector, I can describe that too, but in the public sector, they have to be concerned about parties coming to the table who generally have no direct relationship to what you're doing. And I think I asked you, to, I probably asked you this a couple of years ago. Because mm -hmm. the question I ask any developer that comes into the inner city of Milwaukee is, how are you going to get this project done and who are you going to hire to help you get it done? And are you going to hire black-owned businesses to be part of what you do? I asked the question of Melissa Goins at 4th and North. I asked the question on yours. I asked the question on any project of that because I feel I have the right to do that. And so far, I've gotten away with that. <laughs> but I also, when I come to the table, and what I do, I try to bring a resource to you so you don't have to go out and either create one and or uh, say, I can't find one. I will help you, help you find one as what I do because I've gotten paid to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go to Mr. Hawkins. Oh, I was going to go back to you. No, oh. <laughs> notice on the board, I'm listed as Milwaukee Black Business. My daughter created a website that categorizes black-owned businesses in Milwaukee. She was generous and made me the president of the company. She's the chairperson and the CEO. You were featured, if I remember correctly, yeah. on our website at its beginning for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to do. We want to help you get exposure. And to be honest with you, as an entrepreneur, we've run into some headwinds that she is currently trying to market the website to agencies like the African American Chamber of Commerce, Wisconsin Black Chamber of Commerce, or some other group that has the time and capacity to run it. Because at the time she created it, and you may run into this too, because you're doing this in Milwaukee, but you may decide to move somewhere else for a moment. And then how do you carry that, what you do to that other place? She lives in Minneapolis. She was going to move to Milwaukee, but the arrangements got hung up, and she stayed in Minneapolis. So now she has, owns a website about Milwaukee black businesses, which she expects her old dad to run. <laughs> and the old dad has these moments that he might want to run it, but more moments when he just chooses to not do it. So we're in the middle of peddling that website. I'll just share that with you as an entrepreneur, because she created it. And one, one other thing I think that you brought up um, and I thought was really interesting, and I, everyone in this room is like different ages. We have a really nice spread. And one of the things I think that is a big um, deterrent for people trying to step out into their passion and to, to turn their passion into profit is the, that they're afraid that their neighbor is going is to judge them. 
right? They're afraid that how can I be a 45-year-old and start my own business when every other 45-year-old has got the house and the cars and everything? Like, oh, 45-year-old? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm 24, so, you know, it's, as I say, yeah. But that's my point. I think at some level, it's like, it does ignore, you have to, you have to use your passion to say, you know what, I'm going to ignore the fact that it's going to look like I'm taking two steps back. Yeah, gonna yeah you got to ignore that. you got to use your passion as blinders in some way to, to, to let yourself say, okay, you know what, it's okay. It's okay that I'm, my life isn't like their life. You have to, you have to use it. I mean, it, we're talking about like the ninth and tenth commandment here. Don't, you know, you shall not covet, right? That's simple. Don't covet anyone else. Focus on your own stuff and do it because you love it. And ignore what everyone else says because at some level they don't know your circumstance, they don't know your context. Yeah, you no should, one knows. You follow that. your passion and not let fear dictate somebody else's fear dictate yeah. your trajectory. Right? Absolutely. Because starting a business, running a business, um, starting a new business, um, it's, it's it's about hills and valleys, and your passion is going to get you through those valleys. And there's no talisman to how this is supposed to work. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's no yeah. rubric. This is exactly how you have to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think we get lost in this trap sometimes where we're comparing our journey to others and saying, well, because I'm not, because I don't have, you know, five million followers on Instagram and I'm not yeah. running in a boat, right. I'm a crappy entrepreneur. It's like, yeah. no, not true. that person might have bought followers and ran the boat for the day. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to really focus on just, you know, being adaptable, being able to adapt to your own scenarios, being able to figure out, okay, how can I navigate this journey and make it work for me based on my business, based on my unique challenges, based on my unique experiences, my budget and what I'm dealing with, and stop worrying about the next guy, the next gal, and what their journey is. Because you have no idea what their struggles were, what they had to go through to get to where they are. And perception is not always reality either in that respect. Right, right. So. Right. Last comment on passion, and then I get to be well, It wasn't so much the, the passion, it was what... Uh, <laughs> You were saying, what's the challenge? Mm -hmm. right? And I think sometimes what people will say, uh, the finance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the peaks and valleys, right? right? You said the peaks and valleys. Well, let's just be really, really honest here. If you're going to do this, you have to know it's going to be peaks and valleys yeah. and challenges. I mean, that's just the deal of it because you're, you're doing something that hasn't been done. So what I always say to anyone is, uh, and I always quote others because I like to say it's not just me saying it. Uh, I think it's the uh, the ten thousand hour rule. But put the work in. Mm -hmm. as, as long as you're working, you're getting some result. You know, I mean, they say uh, experience leads to expertise. It, it, that's it. As long as you're working, if you're working, the finances come, the income come, the the networking comes. If you came here today, I just met. I think I just made four new contacts today. They didn't know it. I just oh, yeah. did. <laughs> I right. see you on LinkedIn. Right. We are so. But energy is activity, and I think what we face sometimes. What's the challenge? Age, right? Millennial to age to old, right? Whatever you want to call it, right? I believe you gotta go out where the people at. I don't want anybody working for me sitting at home, emailing, texting me out. That's, I need you to be where the people at. The people always where you will find the money, the people, the network. That's where you have to be. Sitting in the house, you'll get some work done, but it's not like when you out where it's at. So put the work in. As long as you're working, energy is activity. As long as you're working, it's going to come in. Now, age, the challenge is, is an age factor because you do. At, at 49 years old, and I'm a black man at 49, right? Somebody doesn't call that old. But where I'm from, that is old. My friends have died young. And not only have they died young, 
as we are aging, I have friends who are like 51 having heart attacks. And I trace that on life that we live growing up, the stress, the trauma. So the challenge now, I got to get it done because tomorrow isn't promised. I'm in. A, I'm in. A, I'm in. A, I'm, a, I'm a man in the culture that says there are people who don't like me based on who I am, my skin. If I'm riding through a certain neighborhood, it could happen if someone is having a bad day. So sometimes now my legacy, I got to get it out. You say with children, my grandson. I'm. My wife was like, "Why are you telling him not to find a job? Because I'm an entrepreneur. He needs to see. I don't need you to go work for nobody. I want you two days starting now." Young men, and I close with this, young men I work with coming out the lockup, I'll tell them, honestly, nobody is hiring you. Right. You got a felony. Got to get it. Now, what you can do is you can come work for me and I'll train you, but if I can't, you got to take the product that you had on the corner, which was the wrong corner. Those skills are transferable. Create your own. There's mm-hmm. a network in the market. You an accounting because you dealt with money. Oh, I, I, was, I fought every day. Well, that means you know security. <laughs> you know security. You can tell people, go learn. You can teach boxing. Well, last but not least, well, you know, man, I'm the one that did this. Well, you're organizing. Anything you've done before, Jay-Z said it best. You was who you was before you got there. It's in you already. What I get paid for now is everything I did growing up. I talked too much. I didn't listen in class. <laughs> there you go. I wrote. Amen. And I gang bang. Those things. Know your strengths. I know what I'm Yeah, you know, know your play your strengths. I know what I'm good at. And that's what I do. And I didn't mean that as jokes. Yeah. So then these ladies were smart enough, Kanita and Ebony, to say passion into profit. Right. So we talk a lot about passion. Right. Then there's some technical nuts and bolts thing yes. that you have to do to get to the into profit. Yes, sir. And 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 I've heard a lot of places talk about, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. But how do you stay motivated to get to that point? And so my question to you is, how did you figure out your revenue model? Mm-hmm. It's great to say I want to make money. Right. It's great to say I, I want to hire people and help them. Mm-hmm. But but how did you figure out how do I build them? Mm-hmm. How do I do this? What's my overhead? And how did I get to profit? Because sure. we could we could talk about starting businesses and running businesses and the motivation and the passion. That's all great. But when I'm sitting there, and I think I said it the other day, when I'm sitting there at 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and I got to figure out how to get this stuff paid and how to make money, mm-hmm. how did you figure out your model? Yeah. yeah. Keep it that, clean, man. Yeah, that's what... That's what I'm. That's why the word I keep using is the model, right? But that the model didn't start from the beginning. I went through hours and hours of iterations and hours of so many, like I said, naysayers. I think naysayers are very important Great to your journey, um, because they're gonna help. They're gonna help chip at and help you scope out your model, right? So like, I'm saying my passion. I started off saying. Oh, I see this beautiful neighborhood. I, I, it, it doesn't look great now, but I see I want to develop it all. I want to build these new buildings. I want to build these whatever. And that's good. That's all fine and dandy until you get in front of a banker and you get in front of an uh, investor. And they're like, okay, you serious? Like, no, go back and do this. Change, change this factor or change this variable. And I say, okay, well, I'll fit that variable into a new model or I'll fit that factor into a new model. So I'll go back and forth, back and forth to, like I said, the naysayers or, or not even always naysayers, but just people helping you refine your model. So I eventually got 
and it's, it's always it's always a working model. So I'm always getting to a better and better place. But I'll say to really get to that profit place from dreamland to actual practicality and actual uh, uh, execution of something that's that's agreeable from uh, uh, the financiers or the investors in business. I think you have to go through many, many hours of iterations of that model and many, many, many meetings to uh, let people poke, have the opportunity to poke a hole through something or or, or see a, a perspective or a variable that you might be missing. I want to add to that. Um, I'm a designer, so <clears throat> math and accounting stuff is not my strongest suit. Um, one thing you can do is you can find somebody who's really good at that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's that's important for scaling your business, no no matter what. It costs money though sometimes. It does cost money sometimes. It always costs money. Um, it costs money to make money. The other most important thing is you know I live on the north side of Milwaukee. I was I was raised in Milwaukee, and poverty mindset is something that has probably plagued me in more ways that I, that I really understand until I really until I really started thinking about it actually recently, um, and how that affects your profit is. Undervaluing, you know, sometimes you're your own worst enemy. You're undercutting right. your own profit. You're undercutting right. yourself. And you have to really understand what your value is and what kind of value you're bringing to your clients or to a business. Uh, because without that value, um, you know, how do you ever expect to make money? I think to, to piggyback off of that, when you're, when you're creating something, I think it's very easy to, uh, it, it ties into our initial conversation, but it's, it's very easy to be all things to all people. Right? So I'll use myself as an example. I want to be an attorney, I want to open a law firm, okay, I'm just going to do everything because everything brings in money, right? But I might waste my time and bring in clients that require way much more of my time, time is money. to get a thousand dollars, right? In yeah. general, how did right, you in general. make so, money? Right, so what I did was, so it's about keeping, keeping things lean okay. and being very direct in terms of what you need and what you don't need. And managing right. those relationships right. because at the top, uh, uh, no, that was cool. Not to cut you off. Finish it. But uh, to uh, you know, at the top level of everything, it's all about relationships. Like CEOs, uh, it's not about you know they're not sitting there slaving over websites to designing them. It's it's they're managing relationships, and that right. is a job in itself. True. And that goes back to the value that you're bringing people and relationships. Business. Uh, every every client relationship is like is like a date is like you're dating somebody. You have to court them. You have to. I'm looking for components. Yeah. So it's, before you even get there, like, you gotta you gotta figure out, okay, how, how am I going to objectively even run this business to make money? Okay. If I Spreadsheets, no, if I have zero clients. So if I have zero okay. clients, right? How do I get that first client? Correct. How do I take that money and make from that first client? Correct. And then be able to run my business, right? How do, so, how do I figure out how much money I need to charge? Right. So, so I can cover my overhead. Exactly. Profit, so first you gotta figure expenses. out a part of that is doing at least a Baseline of research for your industry, you say, okay, yeah. what is the minimum? Okay. I, what is the minimum amount of money I need just to run my business? There you go. Just to have find a professional don't association. About, don't worry about profit yet. Good don't worry about oh, I need to have this much money in the bank. Don't worry about I have to pay for X, Y, Z services. Figure out okay, how much money do I need to just operate? Mm -hmm. And if you can figure that number out and keep that number as low as possible, then you can figure out how you can make money at the end of the day after that. But if you can't figure that number out, and you don't know it. Which is not about growth. We're not, we're not even there, we're not even there yet. We're not even there yet. We're talking about at a base level. If I don't, if I don't know how much money it costs me to just run my business, I'm gonna fail at some point because that money's coming in. I have no idea where it's going. You gotta be, you gotta be objective. You gotta be metric oriented and be data oriented to know exactly how much money comes in and how much goes out before you take a dollar and know where that money's going. And he said, I, I think my brother, I think you said it. Yeah. You said it costs when you you said find someone who right. can do that for you, right? Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to say. One is. 
Yes, you do have to find someone, but I'm a firm believer, before we say the number, because we're not talking growth, I just want to say right, this. Right. When you hot, they're going to find you. Mm -hmm. Just begin. Let, because when you say, I want to do this, a part of you is already going, I can do this. This is what I'm going to do. So in my case, and I'm just using my case, mm -hmm. uh, I, when I left teaching, I said, I want to do spoken word. But I didn't want to just go one city to the next, doing a little poem. No, I wanted to... <laughs> control the market. Right. I, so what did that mean? I had to get a platform, right? My platform, and I needed some startup money. Well, couldn't go to a bank. I knew how much we needed, what we needed to do. I knew how much I wanted to make, so I, what's the tangible? What kind of life, to me, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Because I said, I want to be able to do this, this, and this, and I want to be able to take care of my mother and some people. So that means I need to bring in this how do I bring in this? I'm going to have to do this. So my startup money came from my products. So I'm going to create a book. Now, a publisher came and said, I can give you this much. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Because that means I got to split that with you. Yeah. I know the market. No, nah, I'm going to create my own market. So one, I had events. Events helped okay. me make my money. Okay. Meaning that I'm going to charge people to get in the events. In the events, I'm going to network in the events. Not only am I going to network, you come in and you going to network. Now when you leave, you my ambassador saying, you know, I went to Kwabana's event. And it was so-and-so was in there. What's the name was in there? And it cost me $25 to get in there. Well, I got an email sheet. How much that email sheet? Oh, no, you can pay. Yeah, you can get the email sheet, but you got to pay this for the email. Everywhere in my event, money was coming to me. But I'm giving back also. So when I'm making this money, I'm doing a couple of things. One, I'm financing my project. Two, I'm getting to be the name that he's the it guy. Go right. to his events, you're going to find out where it is. And last but not least, if anything, I'm seeing profit because people are coming in there now. And when you last, you said, find someone who knows. So I don't know numbers, and I say, and I don't know branding. I say, D, listen, this is what I'm doing. Check this out. What's in it for you, too? Let's, well, you can win. Hey, I'm doing this. You teaching Brandon, hey, let's sit down. Can you help me out with this? And you you can say, Kwa, that graphic design you got is not conducive to where you're trying to go. You know what I mean? Otherwise, well, in other words, it's whack. It's whack. So I'm saying, how do you start doing it? Yeah, you can take a whole spreadsheet, but I'm not an accountant. I just know this is how much we need to make. And you can say to me, Kwa, that's going to be out of pocket. Okay, well, cut this, cut this. But we're not, we doing this. Because this right here is going to finance this, you know. And I have to say it again, as Jay-Z said, when they was in the room, and they was doing this, and he told the dude, if you ever saw this documentary, uh, Fade the Black, and the guy came, and he's like, hey, I need you to sign the paper. And Jay said, what the hell is you doing? He's like, I need, he's like, don't you ever stop the music. Because the music is the reason we signing this paper. You stop the music, we make no money. I'm saying, find out what you can do well. Yeah, you know how much it costs, but you got to find out how you're going to raise these revenues. Forget all that. I'm sorry. I'll forget all that. I need expertise. Start. Find how you're going to get this money. You can go see them later. I knew a bank wasn't going to give us any money to do what we do. Right. I knew I wasn't going to. I've never had a sponsor, and I'm so proud to say that because if I had a sponsor, they got a control. I'm, I'm not saying I don't want one, but they got a piece of what I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to start coaching. So I want to finance my coaching. Now, when they come and see me, I didn't come empty-handed. Don't go to anybody empty-handed. Yeah. Don't say, hey, I, no, say, look, I got 5,000 I created myself. Can you give me this? People will give you something when they see you already work. You invested in yourself. So, so Colin, another very simple, how do you do this? So, 
find a mentor. Find a mentor. Uh, small Business Administration, um, Professional Associations. Okay. And so I watched Colin go from student. I, I personally think he's crazy, but. <laughs> <laughs> Went from student and worked on an undergraduate degree and an MBA at the same time in four years, 18 wow. credits a semester, summer, online, Not all bad. that, and finished. Work. Goodness. Work. So in my mind, being in higher ed, I said, you know you're going to be tough to hire. Well, hmm. why? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't believe you then. I didn't believe you. You, you were so right. <laughs> you have a master's degree. That's right. I'm looking for entry level. Mm -hmm. So when I see MBA, go? I'm going, well, that adds another That's 10 to 15 grand. Nope. I'm Bye. hiring you. <laughs> That's going to be a tough night. Yeah. Everybody looked at me like, well, it's great. Well, it's really not. You might want to downplay the MBA and kind of go in and start learning. Luckily, he was able to take everything he learned in his MBA, transfer it to his business while he was in school to grow to where he was. And so there are different ways. But how did you figure out the money part? Because so, I remember seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> I got this model and this model. Just stick to one. So I um. Yeah. I, I'm gonna a lot. I think a lot of you here for tactical information. Like you want to know what the the steps, right? Okay. Right. So I'm gonna give you a little bit about my my path, and I can only give you advice on what I did. I can't tell you advice I haven't tried yet. So you don't know everything. Yeah, you wouldn't believe. I mean, I have that MBA, well, right? That so MBA? yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what did, what did I pay Concordia for? So um. I was in school doing uh, my MBA and my undergrad at the same time, and I actually did my MBA in three different concentrations at the same time. And the reason I could was, and the reason I did that was because I could. There was no rules against it, sure. and they they weren't going to necessarily charge me a whole bunch more to do that because uh, nobody did, and so I did it. What I will say is this: I started after I got out of school. I thought I got three MBAs and an undergrad. Why wouldn't they want me? And I thought he was going to. I thought he was crazy when he's like, "You're going to have trouble getting a job." And I said, well, I can't imagine why. Six months later, <laughs> I'm still sending out resumes, and I'm working at a job that I didn't realize at the time was an awesome job. I was working as a wait staff at a country club, yeah. mm -hmm. and I worked nights and evenings and weekends. It was more money than I could have ever made in a full-time job. It was awesome, and the people I met were crazy. I, I was able to get FaceTime, and it was funny because you wouldn't believe it, but saying, good morning, Mr. Camright, how are you doing? Can I, you know, can, I, can I get that for you? And then eventually, what ends up happening is, is most of these people are usually polite, and they'll say something like, well, how are you doing today, Colin? Because the fourth time you give them that drink and you know their order, all of a sudden they're like, well, thanks, Colin, and they know your name. And then eventually what ended up happening was I was serving dinner to a gentleman at, uh, who is the, the CEO of the company, and I didn't know it at the time, and him and his friends were, argue, were, were discussing the perils of hiring millennials. Wow. <laughs> and I politely dropped off the check, and I say I didn't mean to interrupt or, or to uh, eavesdrop, but I wanted to let you know that I am a millennial, and I'm looking for a job. Mm -hmm. And bless, bless his heart, he said, and I started to walk away, right, because I didn't want to impose, right? I'm, a, I'm serving, I'm not supposed to impose, right? So I walked away. And one of the gentlemen at the table said, well, well don't go anywhere. Tell us a little bit more about your background, right? He gave me that opportunity to have my moment. And I sat down and I had a conversation. And I didn't sit down. I had a conversation briefly, and then I went back to work. And uh, eventually that, that gentleman called me and he said, well, you know, we may have a position at, your, at our company for you. I went in, I interviewed, the, I had a great time for the first couple of months, and then I quickly realized that I wanted to do a lot more than what they were ever going to allow me to. So tactically, here's what I did. I knew I had a product because Dr. Sem, I, I designed this first one as a gift for Dr. Sem. I worked as his grad student for a little while, so I knew what he needed. I, always, I was my first customer. That's always, the, you always have to be your first customer. You have to want what you're selling, otherwise no one else is going to. 
So I was my first customer, and I can only give advice in the product area, the service area gets a little more complicated, but I've done a little more of that later. I started with a product I knew I could make, something I'd been doing since high school as a hobby. I, I gave him one as a gift. He turned around and said, can you make 30 more of these for the School of Business? I said, You're, you better believe I can. I had no idea how I was going to pull it off at the time. <laughs> and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I, I had no idea what to charge for it either. So ironically, he got it at the best discount I've ever sold them for. <laughs> we had a conversation about that. I know. I understand. We did it then too. You were right. He got them at the best discount I've ever sold because I didn't know what it was worth at the time. A lot of people, when they start in the market, they undervalue themselves. And I think it's a Midwestern thing. I think it is too. I think it's a Midwestern thing. I think it's people feel guilty about profit margin. You should never feel guilty about profit margin. It's what makes it work. So we ended up starting. I sold the first product. The first product I ever sold other than that, which was a one-time sale, I used that money, I bought a laser engraver, and I sold on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Created a box. You can go list it on Amazon Prime. It costs $250 to get 10 UPC codes. Amazon Handmade was out, but at the time, I didn't think I was going to make enough money to pay for the Amazon Handmade, um, Amazon Handmade upfront $49 a month. I thought that was a lot at the time. I realize now that's insane. But I realized what ended up happening was this. I took one, I, I bought 10 UPC codes. I figured out what, how I was going to package it. I bought the boxes from Uline. I went and Googled POC packaging. I went and Googled. I watched Amazon has tons of YouTube videos called Amazon Seller University. Go watch them. They're good. Because more importantly than Amazon Seller, the way they do it is the way everyone else in the industry does it. You want to be listed on Granger, anything else, they are the ones that have some of the best, like they made me grow up. They made me realize that I needed to have UPC codes, I needed to have packaging standards, I needed to have a standard carton, a standard box size, it needed to be, have a specific weight that I knew that I could tell them that I could ship it with, and I had to have all of these things figured out, right? So they taught me what I needed to know about how to set it up like an adult. Now all of a sudden, I have a product, I'm selling it on Amazon, I put it on Amazon for three days, it doesn't sell anything. So they're going, okay, well, I thought this was going to make me millions of dollars, so why, why, why is this not working? I sold you one. You rented the yacht. And Absolutely, right? I pay my down payment on the yacht. So I'm sitting in my cubicle. It's uh, February 18th, and my phone dings. It's my first sale on Amazon. Boom. All of a sudden, it worked. And I was shocked, to be completely honest, and to this day, I am still shocked every time a purchase comes in. Every time someone buys my product, I'm surprised. I don't know why anymore, but I still am, because I assume that... In one day, this is all going to end. I assume that tomorrow, this isn't going to work. So I started. I started my first product on Amazon. For the first six months of our business, 90 to 95% of our business was done on Amazon. Almost none of it was done on our website. And then I changed the way we did our model. We had 300 followers on Instagram. I wasn't paying for advertisements on Instagram. All of a sudden, I decided, you know what? Amazon Instagram ads, because I started listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, by the way, who you should all follow. You should all follow him. His tactical advice is awesome every time. He said to me, you know what? Your Amazon or Facebook and Instagram ads are underpriced. They absolutely are. And in three to five, or in, yeah, in three years, they won't be. Because all of a sudden, we're going to have a recession. And during a recession, companies have to get smart with how they spend their dollars. And they're going to start spending on Instagram. And all of a sudden, Coca-Cola is going to stop buying television commercials which they shouldn't have been spending money on anyway. So now, all of a sudden, I said, okay, I'm going to start spending money. And I thought to myself, I'm going to spend a little bit of money because I don't know how much. So I spent $20. Boom, just like that, tons of sales. All on Amazon, because Amazon had the brand. Yeah. Amazon had the brand. And all of a sudden, I realized, okay, I can't be on just an Amazon business. That's not a good long-term strategy. So I launched, so what I did is I started, to, instead of pushing my ads to Instagram or to, to Amazon directly to make it a quicker purchase, I pushed into my profile. To build the brand. We went from 600 followers to over 11,000 followers now. 
11,000. What's your Instagram por- uh, profile? It's at Co. At MurdyCreative.co, well, it's our cool. website. So feel free to feel free to go follow us. We'd love that. So what we ended up doing is we switched. We hit ten thousand on October thirty first. We're at eleven five now. We're continuing to rapidly grow, and we're spending more and more and more money. Every dime we spend, we get a dollar back, like clockwork. And specifically during the Christmas season, even when ads are getting more expensive, it's absolutely been worth it. So tactically, that brand building has allowed me from ninety percent Amazon, ten percent. All of a sudden, that's flipped in September. Now, 60% of my business is done on my website. And we're also maintaining that same amount of sales on Amazon. So our Amazon sales growth has grown, and our website has now all of a sudden become 50%. So that's like doubling your revenue. Mm-hmm. And that brand all of a sudden means something. Right. So last question. Good. Last question. And then we're going to let some audience. Yeah, sorry, guys. It's <laughs> 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 going on for a while. That, that, so I'm, I'm going to go down the too. line. All right. If there's anything in your business... What do you need to automate, delegate, or eliminate? Just give me one. Um, automate. Oh my God. So in development is so much. Uh, I, I, one of the biggest hearts of development is really, really the financial model. So the performers with a lot of developers, you, um, the performer tells the whole financial story of the of the uh, of the pro- of a building of a project. Don't of explain a, of development. it. What you gonna automate? I need to automate that. Process. I've been trying to figure it out. I've been, uh, okay. I, I use Excel spreadsheets, but I really want to go out to the field one day or send uh, uh, some project managers of mine and just plug in numbers and it just populates. It populates. Mm-hmm. So a perform Excel spreadsheet that can input data and just output exactly mm-hmm. what I need to really tell the full story of a project. Where are you gonna delegate? Uh, I'm gonna delegate um, administrative tasks. Uh, really, uh, okay. when it comes to uh, what are you gonna eliminate? I'm going to eliminate, oh man, <laughs> I'm going to eliminate. Because in order to gain something, yeah. you got to lose something. Yeah. Uh, man, come back to me on that. Okay. <laughs> Anything to automate? Record keeping. Yeah. Delegate. In growing a consultant firm, you have to be able to delegate actually the same activity you're performing but with the brand or personality on it that people are looking for. Yeah, what, what are you going to eliminate? At this point, nothing. Okay. Uh, you learn as you go along. I just want to say that you made me remember something as you were talking. And that was the biggest embarrassment I had in doing the performing what I performed. It's on Miller Park. I got called in because of my billing, because <laughs> of the rate I was charging. And I was told the rate was too low. Mm-hmm. That I had to raise it to yeah. be in concert with the rest Everybody of the consultants yeah. on the project. Yeah. Charge your word. So that was an embarrassment. Automate, Colin? Uh, we got to automate our logistics and, and reordering system. It's too much. We're spending disproportionately large amounts of time on trying to organize that. Delegate? Uh, I need to delegate more of the production and, and the relationship with the... And having people like do the production and manage the production. What are you going to eliminate? I need to eliminate the... It's really hard to eliminate anything. (laughs) It's so hard for me to eliminate anything. I've got to... I don't even want to talk about this. Sorry. I've got to eliminate my... um, I I don't know. (laughs) Um, Automate. Automate uh, the... uh, 
client uh, discovery process, hmm. uh, at least as a qualifying process, so client qualification. Uh, delegate, I'm going to be delegating, actually this is a plan, I'm going to be delegating a bunch of stuff to my wife. Um, That's not delegation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she don't want to do it, she's going to give it back to you. But it's administrative tasks, um, you know, social media posting, scheduling, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, project management, and uh, eliminate all my shitty clients. You're out of here. Okay. okay. Automate? Yes. Automate uh, client intake. And workflow, this the kind of a big funnel. So you need to create a funnel on a pipe. I have one. This is it needs. It can be refined. Okay. Refining the automation, right? Okay. Um, delegate the actual filing of trademark applications for me. Wow. I'm filing like hundreds of applications. I'm scared to have people file them. Mm -hmm. I look. I, I, what most firms at scale do is they have someone draft it, paralegals draft it. Mm -hmm. I overlook it to make sure it's correct, and I'm more of the band leader than the actual you know band, right? Um, as far as illumination. Uh, I don't, nothing. I can't, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to eliminate something. It's hard to eliminate something. It's so hard. And then last but not least. I'm a specialist. I need to have more specialists around me. Okay. People who are good at those things, they're good. Okay. Which lets me be who I'm going So is that delegate or automate? It's automate. Okay. I just need to have a bigger team because for me, I want to expand the territory. Okay. So I want to just be honest. So automate, I need to have specialists, people who know what they do, and they're going to help me be Kwabinat so I can do Kwabinat. What do you have to delegate? Delegate social media, um, uh, role, administrative things. I have an assistant, I have a team, but uh, I just want people to handle all of that. I'm good on social media, but it'd be better if somebody else handled that. Like, I can go, if you let me go do me, I'll help us. Are you really going to let somebody do that? I'm mean, control? I, you know what? Can oh, I it's, stop reading, man. it's a big difference. You, you know why? It's my man was saying the time I'm I'm doing it well, but the time right. I had a young I had a young man uh, that was working with me just over this over this year. We did the legacy language tour. He kind of took over social media posting mm -hmm. for me. He expanded it because he that was what all he did. That's all he did, right? He, he hashtag this, okay. hashtag that, hashtag this, hashtag. And I was able to just run my mouth and create art. I can create for you because I didn't have to worry about I did that in the beginning because that's what I needed to do. Yep, right. But at this point now, if I want to get my message out, if I want to inspire more, create a movement, then I have to be able to just talk I just and create. And so what are you going to eliminate? But I have to negative thinking. Mm -hmm. The, yeah, the most dangerous thing for me right now good one. Yeah, a good one. Such is um, not that I can't, but I'm the fear of, you know, so real quick, my father got killed when I was 11. The man who killed him just died two days ago. Hmm. I didn't get to go see, I, w I went looking for him in Chicago. I just wanted to get some closure. And why did I use that story? Because the negative thinking is if I get to 50 next year, right? Coming from where I come from, said I'm 60 is great, but it's like, damn, am I gonna be old? Am I gonna see it? Do you understand what I mean? We don't look a day over 35. But <laughs> I don't, but the life thank you. But the life experience says that changing my narrative says that 50 is a milestone. Do you understand what I mean? So my fight, my biggest fight right now is not that I can't make it. I know I can make it, but the, the thing of Quabin, I have to say, Quabin, keep your mind on you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. But there's a focus of yeah. that's why everything is fast right now. So I gotta just eliminate negative thinking. Everything yeah. else, we good. Just eliminate negative thinking. Well, I got some motivation workshops for y'all next year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Questions. 
Any questions from the audience about anything? Anybody have a business that can help them with anything they need to automate, delegate, or eliminate? Yes, sir. So I'm big into habits. Can, can you give us your name first? Yeah, name is Q. Tell us who you are, Q. Just Q. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm big into habits. So my first startup, I read at a college, failed. Second startup, failed. Third one, like, is moving really, really fast. Okay. If I trace that back, like, like there's a lot of variables in that, but a big part of that is, like, there was a habit, right? I focus on one habit, and that's, let's shoot a video every single day. And that habit led to more good right. habits. That habit led to other things. So I want to know what, for each of you, what's one habit that you've intentionally implemented that's led to the success of your business or brand or that's anybody. Uh, never stop learning. That's my that's my habit. I try to learn something new every day. You just took my last question. Well, <laughs> sorry, that's uh, one habit. My my morning. I, my morning belongs to me. I motivational message first thing in the morning for the first thirty minutes. Write for another twenty five minutes. Read for another fifteen minutes. Work out for another. If it's any habit I've been good at, it's my morning. Uh, whatever I do in the morning dictates my day. When I don't have my morning, my day is shit. Excuse my language. Kick the morning. You gotta win your morning. That's my habit. Yeah. You gotta win your morning. Absolutely. Yeah. To me, it's it's two things. Fitness, just because if you can't keep care of your body, you're not gonna be able to have the energy to do anything that you need to do. <laughs> um, that and and zagging, man. Zagging and saying no. I guess is the way. So. <clears throat> I, I, I talk about seeking out no's a lot for things, and that applies to you know speaking to a client that has no intention of buying from you. So mm -hmm. why is the bulge all this energy mm -hmm. when you have no yep. intentions of purchasing my product, purchasing mm -hmm. my service? That's why so, I gotta automate that. Right. Part. So there's a barrier that's like fun, like money. I want money to come up early in the conversation because it's right. too expensive. Okay, great. Well, best of luck to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's not continuous conversation, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, but that applies to your time too because you can't say yes to everything all the time. Certain things are not worth your time or your energy, so you need to know when to say no. So I make it a habit to say, okay, is this for me or is it not? And if me going down this path, you know, if, it's, if it's speaking at a panel, if it's meeting with someone for coffee, if it's hiring a new client, if me doing those things is not in furtherance of my goals, then I'm not going to do it, period. So, um, Well, I'm, I make it a habit to put um, or make relationships a uh, priority. I think in development, uh, relationships are so key. So many players involved in the project and um, um, making sure that I'm never – I don't want to say never burning bridges, but I'm always valuing people in, their, in the relationship that I have with them. Um, it's just very important. I journal every day, and I, I tell the narrative as if I was... Um as if I was telling it to someone who would read it later. So I try to include details that I'll remember, for sure. I, I include details about who these people are, because even though I'll know. And what I realize is that when I, when I go back, and every so often I'll go back and read it, it's amazing how much progress you make and you don't realize it. Sure. It's amazing how far you come in such a short period of time. And that is so motivating and encouraging to say, you know what, I thought when I wrote this down that it was never going to get solved, that this was going to crush me, that there was no opportunity. And then six months later, you're like, wow, was I wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, it's, it's a really humbling and interesting experience. And that's why I like to do it every day. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. So I just started my business. Um, it's called Mari Mariposa Studios, or Mariposa, or Mariposa, you can say it however you want. And people will, but at least it's easy to spell. Um, my name's Lauren. I live in Delafield. I left an agency realizing that it was just 
burning me out and mm. I was actually a creative, not just a manager of people. And um, so I just spent the last four months figuring out what I'm doing and got my first client yesterday. So I'm really excited. Congratulations. That and just like play that every morning. When I <laughs> so my friend Emily and I actually started working together. She does amazing photography. So we partnered where she's doing some photos of interiors that I've done. I'm doing interior design, event design, and branding. Um, so she's been kind of trading services. I'm doing her house and she's doing some photos for me. But that's kind of my question is, especially in creative realms, you have a lot of friends in those things. So how do you still have friendships, but draw a line of what's like a pro bono thing, what's a trade, and what is like now that I'm getting a profit, or now that I have my first signed client, how do I make sure I'm not taking advantage of Emily? And you know, that we now, and not just you, but like how do we, moving forward, how do I have contractors or friends, and where's the line with that? My man said it best. Mm -hmm. Let's have the conversation up front. Yeah. 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 Even if it's your friend, let's, let's you know, I think it's, be not think, it's best, let's have, because. As long as you don't devalue yourself. Well, not that, but you know, and what did he say? What did he say? Um, I love movies, Carlito's Way. <laughs> get you killed faster than a cold. Sure will. Let's have the conversation, not devaluing, just like, hey, look. You, because if it's your friend, they know what your house looks like and they know what your bills look like. You're not my friend if you're driving a Mercedes and I'm on the bus and we're doing business. That's not friendship. I'm not winning. It's not, it needs to be a win-win. Now it can't be where you say, hey, look, I want to do these things. I don't have a lot. What do I need to do? And the question needs mm -hmm. to be each time to me, what's the win-win for both of us? Mm -hmm. So you can say, look, I want to help you with the branding piece, I mean with the lawyer piece, but I... Financially, I can't do all that. But what can you do? I can do this. We'll work from there. Well, I got to speak and get. I got this and get vent. I want you to come speak at it. Okay. Well, this is my fee. All right. Then we can either talk barter or we can talk pay. But let's have the conversation. Okay. That way, nobody loses. Mm -hmm. In my opinion. Okay. And you got to be willing to say things aren't working out. Can we go back to being friends? Yeah. That's so hard. That's yeah. an impossible conversation to have most of the time. But you know what? There are times where, I mean, like one of my good friends is working on a new design that we're working on. It's super exciting. I am through the roof excited about this new design. He's kind of, I mean, they're, they're a manufacturing company, a little one that just started up. They're not as interested. He's a good friend of mine. That's why he originally got the business, because I thought he would be interested in it. We might have to have a hard conversation about that, that he's, not doing, he's not doing me any favors at this point, for sure. And I'm definitely paying him a lot to not do me any favors and not to be able to help me out, right? So there needs to be have an honest conversation sometimes and confront people and say, look, we're friends. We've been friends for a long time. But this is a big world, and this is there's a lot of people, and we gotta m manage each other's relationship in appropriate ways. I, I know, uh, uh, I know a designer who she has a, a hard rule that she does not yeah. work with friends or family yeah. okay. because it. It'll That's a really hard rule to keep up with, by the way. <laughs> oh, really hard. That's a really hard rule to keep to. I appreciate it. Super hard. You have to make sure that no matter who you work with. There's always money involved. Yeah. yeah, and at the least, you have to say, and it, 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 it balances everything. It's got to be valuable things for yep. both people. And whatever, whatever you're Absolutely. charging somebody, you, you need to you need to start with. Here's what I charge people That's for right. this yeah. thing. That's right. For you, you know, just so they understand what this the cost is, is right. uh, like, because uh, a project is going to cost either time, mm -hmm. other resources, or money in some kind of way. So, hey, these are the resources that need to go on the project, and this is an investment in your business. So, and there's nothing like feeling bad when you gave somebody something yeah. mm -hmm. that was worth 
Way more, yeah. Way more than you got in retirement. Or cost yeah. you way more. Right? Yeah, it costs you way more. There's a cost for everything. Oh, yeah. You may as well charge. Uh, right? It costs your time. Right? Yeah, your time costs. I could be, I could be you making your friend. Right? It's your friend. Right. So if when we say your friend, right? If we're friends, we're supposed to look and care on how we going to do this right. together. Right. So it's never free. It's always your time costs. Yeah. You know, I did, when somebody says, hey, man, let me pick your brain, I was like, here's a check. <laughs> 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 no, really, because, yeah, this, I mean, I'm, and I'm really talking to you, too. <clears throat> you're friends, but if you're my friend, you're really supposed to say, hey, look, this is what I charge. Mm -hmm. And yeah. this is what we're going to do. Now, look, hey... We don't, because you can't, sometimes you can't revisit the conversation because when it get bad with friends and business, it get real bad. Yeah. yeah. I love to talk about I'm not talking to you again. So let's make it clear. You can't add it. Well, you know what? I don't work with my friends. But you can say, no, nah, look, we can do this, but look. If this is just has to rank, be what it's going to be. If you say, I can't do that, let's be honest. Only afford this. Because if it's your friend, you're going to take care of your friend. You should. And your friend should take care of you. Your friend shouldn't ask you to do. A, a project that costs so much money and time yeah. for little or nothing. That's not your friend. Right. Yeah, because you're saying, I'm going to stop working over here to come yeah. assist you. Right. So you're really telling me you don't value what I do. Exactly. There's no such thing as just do me and come over and speak. Somebody said, Kwa, can you come speak for five, ten minutes? That's no. You Look, no. If you, I got somebody that can speak to you for ten minutes. You mm -hmm. want me to come? Right. This is what you need to do. It's, so and that's another good solution. Hey, I can't do it for this amount, but I know somebody who I can. can. Right. Simple yeah. Just have the conversation up front. All right. Okay. So I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Was there a question over here? No. So it's Milwaukee Startup Week, right? And so we hear a lot about people saying, "Well, Milwaukee is experiencing this negative fact, this negative fact." I want to know what's one thing that Milwaukee has given you that you would not have been able to get in a Grit. <laughs> Grit? Okay. Uh, opportunity. Can I explain that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I say opportunity. 30 seconds. I just say opportunity <laughs> because I feel like uh, a lot of us move to other major cities to try to find opportunity. Right. Uh, but you're just a small fish. In a big pond. With other crowded pond. Yeah. Versus Milwaukee, I feel like you definitely have opportunity to grow. You have opportunity to really have a, a great market share. I don't use negativity as one of the rationale why I do anything. I just I think Milwaukee has given me as many opportunities as I would have gotten anywhere else, including uh, places like Atlanta, which is highly touted. It was touted to me in 1974, as a matter of fact. Mm. I chose Milwaukee because I because I knew Milwaukee, and I liked Milwaukee, and I still do. So a lot of it is the attitude you go in with, mm -hmm. as as opposed to what you think you see elsewhere mm -hmm. that's better than where you already are. Very low overhead. Don't ever undervaluate that. Because in the lean months, it matters. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, you know, grit. Um, just it's uh, it's it's you have to work really hard to get ahead here. And I don't know if that's a product of a just the city thing. or the Midwest thing yeah. or or what. But um, like you know, like Will, Will Smith said something along these lines is like you will you will not outrun me i will just continue I'm running and i'm, I'm not going to stop so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh for me it's genuine kindness mm -hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm an east coast guy so we're very direct we're very sarcastic <laughs> you know so i, I have this story <laughs> and, I, and i love that right when i go home i sometimes i bring it back right but i always have a story when i first moved to um milwaukee for law school 
I was carrying my bed frame up my stairs. I lived in St. Francis for a while. Uh, there was no elevator, it was just really steep amount of steps. So I'm carrying this box up, kind of two, three steps at a time, and this guy jolts across the street. He's like, hey man, you need any help? My East Coast side was like, I'm good, I'm good, no thank you. He's like, no man, like, I have no problem. I'm like, all right, cool. And so he helps me carry the, uh, my bed frame up my stairs, we get to my door, put my key in there, and I'm like, you want a dollar or something? And like, this is me just thinking right. like, I, there's no way you can be kind to me without wanting something in yep. return, right? right. Um, and just living here for the last, been almost 10 years now, I've noticed that there's just a genuine kindness, kindness in the Midwest that I don't generally see anywhere else. And so for me, it's helped balance my personality out, right? Okay. Which is why I love it. My, I remember you as a lost Oh, oh man, that's bad. Is that good or bad? Hey, <laughs> 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 Accessibility. Small enough but big enough. Yeah. yeah. You can get to everybody you need to, wherever they are. You know, and even if we call it the segregation, if we use the term, sometimes can be to your advantage. Correct. Because now you know your area. You know, oh, okay, there's lacking over here, so let me work this. It gives you access. And the other thing I think, I, I believe it gives is that, uh, if I use the term right, the small town lock it down feel. Mm -hmm. When I came down here and I looked around like, they don't do this, and they don't do that, they don't do this. Where I came from, we did this and we did this. And mm -hmm. So I can bring this to right. here. So where you see a desert is really a mine. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, Benny Siegel, the, the, you know, right? It's Reno, Nevada. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's water in the desert. Mr. Farrakhan said, if you can find water in the desert, you own it. Just don't die looking for it. But if you live, can't nobody take it from you. I can, if you can make it here, make it you can make it anywhere. Because that myth about, oh, it's popping in Atlanta. Mm. If you was a nut in Milwaukee, you're going to be a nut in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> if you was a jerk here, you're going to be a jerk. They don't, you know, you can travel. Oh, I went, you know, because if you ever watch people's stats, I'm leaving Milwaukee because there's opportunities in Atlanta. Then they go to Atlanta. I'm leaving Atlanta. Going to North Carolina. Yeah, Carolina. And then you really want to say to them, don't you think it's you? <laughs> you're changing your address, but you're not changing your address. Yeah. You know? Oh. I just want to. I just want to add to it. I mean, everybody said something great, but you know, I spent. I just moved back to Milwaukee uh, five years ago. I spent 20 years in the Dallas market. Uh, sold my company down there, uh, was working for a large company kind of in and out of the, uh, you know, owning my own business and, and working mm -hmm. for a large company. Moved back up here to Wisconsin, and one of the things that I think stood out for me in the Dallas market and really got me to the place where, where I went there was, you know, having that work ethic in the mm -hmm. Midwest and the genuine nice uh, you know, ability to do that. Yeah. And I think somebody else said something about how, how the Midwest, you know, kind of just gives you that you know, we undervalue who yeah. we are here. And I think if you if you can think about that as you go into the market, even though you've been here your whole life, you know, I had the advantage of moving away. Uh, I convinced my brother to do the same thing after he graduated from Wisconsin to come to Texas and come join my company, which he didn't do, smart move. He's <laughs> out in California now. You know, I think that you stand out in the Midwest mm -hmm. in these other areas that That's you can really leverage that, but you don't have to. You can do it right here, right? See, so a lot of times, People put themselves in a different perspective somewhere else because you have to now. Now you're introducing yourself to a whole brand new network of people and you're trying mm -hmm. to figure out who you are and it ends up making you bloom. Mm -hmm. But you can do it right here where you're at. You just have you to can. put yourself Absolutely. in that mindset. That's I think that's a real, you know, something that people don't, they, they take it for granted. It's a great city. Well, thank you.
I appreciate it. Let's give our panelists a round of applause. My only suggestion to you is before you leave the room, you should meet at least two people that you don't know and get some information and grow. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's thank our hosts. Yes.